your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Okay, let's check my thing. Welcome back to the Off Tackle Empire podcast. We're here at Off Tackle Empire to discuss the Final Four. Yeah, we're both just thrilled with the field and love who made it. And everyone on Off Tackle Empire actually is very happy with it. With a lot of Virginia fans out there, uh, of course, newcomers to the Final Four like Auburn always have a big following. Texas Tech really is kind of the villain here because they're the ones who betrayed their identity, you know, from their football culture being an all-offense, no-defense squad and just going 180 degrees the other direction with basketball. And that's got to be a new record into our recording time when he started squeaking. It could not have been more than, what, eight or nine seconds? Yeah, we're we're under 30 seconds, I think. So, not quite record-breaking, but impressive nonetheless. Now he's checking out your liquor cabinet. Okay. okay. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, so anyway, that's how I feel, too, um, because I, we have, we're, we're currently living in a reality where uh, the media is filleting Bruce Pearl, and I've, I've had about enough. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. So I'm ready to head to the liquor cabinet and squeak a bunch of stuff. That's how I feel right now. Uh, okay, yeah, so... We'll, t- we'll talk a little bit of Final Four matchups. Uh, Michigan State made it back. That's obviously a big story relating to the Big Ten. Uh, I didn't see it coming. I guess that's where I'll start and where I have to... I mean, if I guess if this is what eating crow tastes like, I'd happily do it more often. At, at the end of last season, I thought for sure that Izzo's last major accomplishment, at least in the tournament, was behind him. Because if, if he was unable to get past the second round with the talent he had last year, I reasoned, how would he in the foreseeable future, be able to do that when, as was ultimately the case, his two best players on paper were leaving. He didn't have any five stars coming in and not really leading for any in the pipeline either. And that's the case again next year. He missed out on all the top targets. Got a couple pretty good kids coming in, but I guess what this year ended up showing me, regardless of how next weekend goes, and obviously I hope they win. It's the best opportunity they've had to win a national title in elite, I mean, probably 15 years really, not even a decade, because last time they made it this close, the last couple times, they're really haven't been. I mean, the 2015 matchup against Duke, they were never going to be in that game. They actually jumped out to a lead, if I remember right. But then before that, there was the 9 matchup with North Carolina, and they just got their guts torn out. So they haven't really had a legit chance to win in a really long time. On one hand, like before the season started, this Final Four would have really surprised you, and that's why I compare it to like their last one, because that sort of relative to this to be before the season came out of nowhere uh the reason that this is different is because okay you had a similar amount of seeming to come out of nowhere from before the season but with that one you looked around and was and and you're like yeah there's still a lot of really stacked teams and even in this oh, yeah. Four. Yeah. but this year it's not quite like that because of course you had to cut down duke to get here uh north carolina fell along the way gonzaga yeah. Couldn't hack it. I mean, you know, the teams that... There aren't really any teams that look that scary here. No, there are no teams where you're like, oh, God, this is going to be terrible. We're going to lose... If we lose by less than 20, I would be relatively satisfied. No, there's no team in this field that MSU should be afraid of. Now, depending on how much you think of advanced metrics, though, Virginia is the strongest profile across the 
the board. I think that we've seen recently. I'd have to check their numbers this year versus some teams from the last few years. But I mean, Ken Palm absolutely loves Virginia. They're top five in offensive and efficiency. And of course, the problem with them is they play at that grinding tempo. And we see time and time again that if there's a contrast in styles in basketball, it's a lot easier to slow a game down than it is to speed it up when the opponent doesn't want to play at the same speed as you. So that's in spite of the fact that until this year, they've never been able to take advantage of it in the tournament. Playing slow, I actually think, gives you an advantage when you get the tournament. That being said, I don't want that because it generally is not the most appealing brand of basketball. But it's also not going to be as much of an advantage for Virginia as it normally would be because the other three teams, even Auburn, which I think everyone has this perception of as this high-flying, back-and-forth, all-transition team, their tempo is basically average. Uh, Michigan State and Texas Tech both play slower than average. Not dramatically so, but... But still compared to oh yeah, compared, compared to them. compared to Virginia, the R three teams are all moving much quicker, but none of them are going to be so uncomfortable playing that kind of game that Virginia is going to have an insurmountable advantage. I mean, the other thing is Virginia has definitely got more talent now than they have the last couple years. Um, especially there was I forget which years it was. I think it was fourteen and fifteen were the two years when MSU knocked Virginia out in consecutive years. I'm pretty sure it was because I think those were the first two years I was living here. But obviously the rosters have completely turned over, and Virginia is substantially more. Talented talented now than they used to be so that's an angle that hasn't really been played up yet I think if the two those two teams meet in the final you'll hear more about it and the fact that Izzo's already got a couple of tournament wins over Bennett but for the time being it hasn't been brought up yet Virginia is probably still the betting favorite in fact I think I saw the lines that opened did have them at like three to two or something but it wouldn't surprise me if any of the four teams left won it really so with Virginia proving so strong, right, they're clearly the heavy favorite and have been the most impressive team to this point, and yet Purdue had them right there. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, they had the game won, and it was just one of those unbelievable plays at the end, but it shouldn't have even gotten to that point. No, it was a one-shining moment kind of thing, but I remember watching most of that game and thinking, and I, I think some of us talked about this in the Slack, I was like, you know, Purdue started hot, like hot as hot could be, but they never had more than like a 10-point lead. I was like, this is not good because, yeah, Virginia doesn't move at a quick enough pace to keep up with you if you're red hot like that, but because they're so deliberate, because they were scoring on basically every possession, you know, it didn't matter that Purdue comes down, nails a three, they go the other way, Virginia gets a basket. That's they the come thing. down and hit a three, and then Virginia goes the other way and gets a basket, and then Purdue misses a couple shots, and the gap closes 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 so they always the fact that they're so efficient on offense now keeps a ton of pressure on you in the half court because you're not going to be able to speed them up and defensively they're going to be enough of a problem that you're not going to score in every possession so they just kind of they arm wrestle you to sleep well what i saw that was different from previous virginia programs just in that purdue game is that okay they they, they choose to if they would if they could choose to they'd have the pace be slower but if you try and push it against them, they're just much better at, yeah, we can also play at this pace in response. And that's why Purdue was never able to really break it wide open was because they dealt with, I thought that they dealt with a hot Purdue, you know, a lot better than, uh, you know, previous Virginia teams would have dealt with. Yeah, uh, even even than I mean. last year. I mean, think about how Virginia handled, I mean, UMBC is, it wasn't like the run and gun offense or run and shoot, but it was obviously, it was a game they were not comfortable in and they handled it so badly. But even a year later, they did make the adjustments that they needed to handle that kind of thing a little bit better. They're better equipped to play in transition now. Yeah. That I think is a big part of it. Yeah, or having DeAndre Hunter healthy actually yeah. helps, sure. And, you know, Kyle Guy has been a lot better for them as definitely emerging as kind of their go-to guy. I assumed Hunter would be that guy when Kyle he came yeah. back. He's not your buddy guy. But, uh, 
And then when you're talking about the team they go up against, that you, you mentioned this at the beginning, and I'm going to try to rein you in here, but I'm going to let you go for a little bit because I feel like Auburn has gotten... It, a lot of the stuff with Boost Pearl seems to have been ignored, and I'm not entirely clear why, because ESPN sure gave it to Tom Izzo when, you know, the following day on SportsCenter, the first thing they mentioned is, oh, hey, Michigan State made it. We didn't know outside the lines piece about that. Maybe you read it. Maybe you should go look at it right now. Maybe that's what we should talk about. <laughs> Instead of, you know... Um, it, dude, it was bad. Uh, and, of course, the fact that Bruce Pearl had an assistant who's under... Is he under investigation, or has he been indicted yet, person? Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that he... That he was fired as a result of it, right? And we're and it's not like this was ten years ago. Like yeah, the guys that was, the guys that were involved this, 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 I mean, are this, presumably this on the team right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's not like there weren't whispers about this at the time it was coming together. Yeah, and it's not like this is the first time he's been in trouble. Like <laughs> the thing that pisses me off, and here's, I mean, the the whole Bruce Pearl Illinois NCAA sanctions things is well established, but people often miss the point of why exactly his continued presence and how people, you know, continue to praise him pisses us off so much. It's not because of what he did to us. It's because he falsely claims to be this martyring whistleblower that, you know, oh, he was blackballed for a bit, but, you know, he did the right thing. No, he introduced a piece of evidence so made up that the NCAA dismissed it. The point is that he, he's just, uh, you know, he maintains this moral high ground despite doing a lot of the same things, um, you know, just being defined in the NCAA and all that. Yeah, he's, I mean... It's, it's this duplicitous thing that you just can't stand. The closest analog to him, I guess, would be, like, Hugh Freeze. Um, yes. Because, and it, more so with his on-court stuff than with his off-court stuff. I mean, I have no problem believing those players love him or whatever. I mean, not all coaches cry when they win. He's a coach who cries when he wins. Um, or when he loses, I guess. But it, he, he is to on-court misconduct and hypocrisy what Hugh Freeze was to off-field... Uh, bullshit and shenanigans completely at odds with his public image. R2, did you just attempt to stand on the liquor cart? I think anything's broken, that's all sure. You done over here now? Why don't you sit down? Don't like it, me. All this talk about Bruce Pearl made Archer really need a drink. Yeah, he just he just couldn't take it anymore. He just can't <laughs> he just can't uh, he just couldn't understand the whole he, he, he just couldn't even deal with it anymore. He couldn't deal with the way that society is now. So anyway, so to put a little bit of a, a bow on the Bruce Pearl thing, yeah, yeah he's getting basically a, a, a free pass here, at least from any of the outlets I've been paying attention to. I mean, and I can't, again, I can't exactly figure out why. It, it's probably because, it's probably because, first of all, he's tied in with the SEC, which is an ESPN property now, essentially. Well, not uh, to mention ESPN had him on as a talking head. Uh, that's right. During yeah. his exile. Yeah. Uh, you know, during which it should be noted that the Champagne Room continued to attack him. As we speak, the Champagne Room is embroiled in a Twitter beef with Auburn fans for some reason that is now extended to the volleyball team. Um, anyway, my point is that we've we've always maintained that Bruce Pearl sucks. This is not just an Auburn came out of somewhere and suddenly we're mad about Bruce Pearl. No, it's just always been, you know, I mean, Bomani Jones, you know, called out a lot of those pieces that were defending, you know, that were defending Bruce Pearl and where it's just like, okay, well, if he's really that good of a guy, you don't usually see defending this really great story coach <laughs> in the Final Four as yeah, yeah. your headline. Exactly. Uh <laughs> So, so it, it all feels that whole great story thing. It's like it's there if you ignore <clears throat> who Bruce Pearl is, but 
it's also it's so close to being there. I mean, for the players and stuff, and it's a team that just kind of came out of nowhere. Right. If school, you remove Bruce Pearl from it, a school, it's probably the most yeah, exciting one. Yeah, a school going to their first Final Four, they, they play what's probably the most appealing brand of basketball to the casual fan. Um, so they're going to get some points there. They're, what passes for an underdog in this? I mean, they are a five seed, and they were probably underseeded in the first place. Um, and again, you know, you don't usually think of the underdogs in these as the ones that you know are cheating to get their players. Right. Those are usually the... Yeah, not exactly... Those are not usually the Davids in here. Yeah, not exactly a Sister Jean present in this Final Four. So, you know, all that being said, I don't know. It it feels like Virginia is going to win that matchup. But, I mean, consider who Auburn had to go through to get here, right? If If you listed these names in most years, and granted, it's not a typical year of strength for these programs, but if you told me that to get to the... to Just to get to the Final Four, a team would have to go through Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky... You'd probably expect that team to be on such a hot streak they're a favorite to win the whole thing. And that could be the case, but it kind of feels as though that win over Kentucky, in spite of losing Chuma Okeke, was probably more about adrenaline and playing in the moment. And that's only going to get you so far against a team as locked down and disciplined as Virginia. And lest, lest we forget, that run was only after Auburn uh, got an absolute stroke of luck in their first round game, game against New Mexico State. Oh, yeah. When uh, when a dude missed two of three free throws at the end. And so, it was a one-point game, correct? Yep. So, so that, that was, you know, so even in this tournament, Auburn's proven that they don't always play up to the highest level of competition. No, and it... In the preview game thread uh, pieces that are going to drop on Saturday, I went and I did a little bit of a season recap of all four teams. Uh, they definitely got hot towards the end of the season, but they're looking up their schedule. There are some losses there where you're like, "How did that happen?" Like they got swept by Ole Miss, for example. Um, so they're they're capable of losing a stinker. And granted, I it's, it's long and really yeah. funny non-conference loss. I don't recall anything that jumped out. They actually they beat Washington, I believe. That was the only non-conference game I saw that really caught my attention. But in any case, um, that side of the match, to be honest, I'll watch that game, obviously. We'll be out at a certain event that night. I don't care if we miss parts of the game because of it. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I, if you ask me, if Michigan State goes through, who would I rather see? I don't know. It's hard to say. On the one hand, Virginia is the better team, but it's also the one that I feel that has less of a variance, you know? Auburn, because they shoot so many threes, because they attack so aggressively on defense, there's a chance that game can go sideways very fast, and there may not be much you can do about it. I mean, if they're flinging up threes and hitting 60% of them or something, what are you really going to do? Whereas with Virginia, you know that's really not going to be a threat. They'll score, and they'll be hard to score against. But you can't. You're more sure of what they're going to be. They're so, kind of the known quantity here. Yeah. So that you know that being said, it, it, I don't know which of those teams I'd rather see. Which takes us then um, to the other matchup. So Texas Tech has had a pretty impressive road to get where they are. Earlier rounds were not the most rigorous matchups they could have had, but they did take down a Buffalo team that was one of the better max squads of the last decade and took them down by a lot. They can be by twenty. Yeah, absolutely crushed them. That was a Buffalo team that I thought. You know, was gonna disappoint us. Go out in the first round. They proved that they were pretty legitimate. I mean, they they yeah. they, they hammered. Who was that? Arizona State. Yes. Um, and you know, point being, that that was an impressive win. And of course, they they absolutely choked Michigan to death. Yeah, and 
let's not confuse this Michigan team with most of Michigan's offenses of the last 10, 12 years. I mean, they were, this is, this is their weakest offense in a while. We commented on that in the last podcast, but what they end up with 44 points. I think. Yeah. I mean, that's still an atypically (laughs) humongous loss in such a stage for John Beeline. Yes. And it, it, so it's, it's like, I think it was a 19 point loss. I think 63, 44 was the final on that. That's, that is a big margin of loss. And percentage wise, that's an enormous margin of loss. Yeah. I mean, that's about 50%. You got, you got two thirds. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the other thing is, in the early stages of that game, neither team could hit a bucket. I mean, they they went like three for their first twenty five combined or something. I'm mean, probably exaggerating a little bit, but the game was both teams were in single digits like past the ten minute mark, if I remember correctly. And it's not like they're it's not like Michigan was playing from behind the whole time, and Texas Tech was just so tight on defense that they couldn't get any space. No, it was there. There was a long stretch of time where nobody was doing much of anything. Yeah, that was that was less a defensive struggle and more of a battle for. Field position yeah honestly yes it had, it, that was that was like a november michigan state game last year like the type of thing you never thought you'd have to watch again so um we'll we'll go into season recaps a little bit on another installment and kind of talk about where michigan is now um it'll be interesting to see who they lose to the draft and be able that'll basically determine their ceiling for next year is basically whether pool and or brezdikas leave or not but anyway Did what we really back, back third place games uh, it's more basketball it is but i was surprised at how recently they were around yeah it wasn't that long ago but is that really something anybody wants to play for anymore like if you lose you know you're not playing for the title who really cares um is that a bad for example is that a banner that i want michigan state to hang in the rafters like hey remember that time you went to the final four and lost because you know honestly i get i don't know I wonder how people view those things because so obviously they they did and as you mentioned until fairly recently they were around. So that Do makes teams... you when you you win third place, then that means that obviously you didn't play in the championship game, but that you proved that you were the better of the two that didn't. Sure. So right. So, so I get third place. So it means I mean, you're in third place. Yeah. I mean, third place is a spot on a podium. What I'm saying is I've I've only been in a handful of college basketball arenas, and the only one with much history I've been in is Breslin because I. Chrysler doesn't have history. Um, But I don't know, like, when they do, you know, ceiling shots on the big marquee games, like, oh, this is Kansas, Kentucky, and it's at... Well, that's a bad example because they never play those on campus sites, but you know what I'm talking about. When they're in these big... When they're in Fog Allen or they're in, um, you know, uh, when they're in Cameron or wherever they are, they'll sometimes, like, pan to the ceiling, oh, look at all the banners and stuff, and you don't see one for third place finishes, right? Obviously, some of those teams had to have had them because they would have been playing in those games having gone to so many Final Fours and obviously they don't have that many championships. Now so. I wonder if there are those somewhere. I don't think there are is kind of my point. It's, maybe there are because it's not like I've been looking, but it. <laughs> so if Michigan State loses... Uh, on Saturday, do I really want them to? Do I want to play another game and sit, like what? Having come this far, I don't. I think the mindset now is if you're not going to get the title, the Final Four is just fine. Um, I don't think there's really much difference in people's minds and whether you played in the title game or if you just got to the Final Four and lost if you don't get the championship. You know what I mean? There's really no difference in my mind, and I think in most people's minds, between second, third, and fourth place. If you didn't win it, then you're on the next tier down. If you didn't get to that Final Four level, then 
your season wasn't that great from a tournament perspective, you know? I feel like that's a thing that's happening more and more lately. Like, like it's shifting more that way in more sports because, you know, when you, especially, like, I mean, college football, you have everything's shifted to focus it's, only did you on make the national championship. Right. right, and to the exclusion of everything else. Uh, of course, the one, like, the one place in my college fandom that, or in my sports fandom that that will never die is in wrestling, right, where, where you know, you have a, a seventh place match and that's for pride or something, right? So first, second, third, fourth, fifth, I mean, it really all does matter there. I feel like that's more of an old school mindset, though, because we, well, media, I mean, media, I think, has focused us on the bigness of the biggest events, you know, to the exclusion of, of everything else when it comes to sports. You might be right from a from a large media perspective, but from our world, from the world of the actual basketball fan, I don't think that's the case because at the end of every season, when I'm looking back and determining, all right, how successful is this? Was this season a success? There are various boxes that can be checked, and it's not all. It's not every season. Did we win the title or not? Because if that was the case, then I would have found the last 18 years of Michigan State basketball miserable, and that's certainly not how I felt about it. So the title is obviously the box that I love to check the most, but it's one that. Very few teams get to, and then there's Final Four. After that, for me, probably comes regular season conference championship. After that, probably comes like eh, it'd be a toss up between Sweet 16, Big Ten tournament championship. After that, it's who did we, you know, did we sweep anybody that I care about beating? Did we lose to Michigan, Ohio State, you know, Wisconsin a few years ago? Not so much anymore. So I don't really remember what boxes I have that are anything other than no, the fuck it wasn't a successful season. <laughs> I don't remember what the rest of my boxes even look like. Right. So I've kind of lost track of what we were talking about here. But no, we were talking about whether play, or not a third, third place, place game, game would matter. Um, I don't think so, but I don't know if, if they reinstate it and it starts to, like, if... How about if it's one of those ones that you have experimental rules for? <laughs> sure. So, yeah. so it, makes no, it, it makes it a little more, you know, if there a little was more a, like an exhibition, a little more like something that, you know, add a little levity to it, I guess. <laughs> you know what they would do? Right, add like an extra reason to watch. You know what they could do with it now is basically... I bet ESPN could get away with this. Is if if they if they said we're gonna have a we'll call it I, I don't know what they would call it some kind of exhibition some kind of post sheet post post postseason showcase like we're gonna have Duke play Kentucky again because um, because we need to get we need one more time to write oh and by the way everyone all these articles that came out at, you know we're we're segueing into the MSU Duke thing now we're doing it all right and where we'll start is with the aftermath where there were all these things and you. You had probably the one of the better phrase rebuttals to this rash of, of just intellectual drivel that poured out onto the internet after Duke lost, where there was all these articles, the general refrain of which was, Duke losing is bad for college basketball. And the thesis generally was, well, Zion is really fun to watch, and now we don't get to watch him anymore. And everybody <laughs> had Duke in their final four in their brackets, and then they... And then, and then Duke lost, and then, and then they were out of my bracket. And Which I don't even know where to begin with that. So that, that is the most intellectually dishonest argument I've ever heard, okay? So, first of all, no one, anywhere, ever, has ever cared about anybody else's bracket. It is the, it is the fantasy football of the basketball world. I don't care who you got in the second round of your fantasy draft, just like I don't care who you had in the final four or how ruined your bracket was by that crazy upset. Nobody cares. Nobody has ever cared. And second, even if people did, if everyone picked Duke in the final four, 
everyone is equally disadvantaged. You have a good shot at still winning your bracket if, if two thirds of the people in it pick Duke to win it as long as you didn't. Have some courage, you know, watch a few games, hear people saying before a tournament, you know, this Duke team is good, but they're not invincible, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that, and that, that's the amazing thing is that it's not like this Duke team was just marching through the tournament, the unquestioned champions, and then suddenly something got in their way. I mean, they barely they survived. Two, two last second escapes against teams with vastly inferior talent. That nevertheless lost on <clears throat> missed wide open layups. <clears throat> yeah, and so I don't even know. Duke so. was on thin ice when they went up against Michigan State, essentially. They looked very human. And, you know, if anything, a team like that losing is great for college basketball because, well, now it says it's not a foregone conclusion that, of course, Duke wins <clears> the title. <throat> they signed three of the top five incoming freshmen, and that's literally all that matters, right? Yeah. Now there's, because now there's hope for people outside of fan bases that do that kind of things. Like, I, I glanced, I think Duke has like the 10th rated class next year, which, goddamn, bear fire coach K now, right? Um, of course, they swipe for it and carry from MSU, but uh, <laughs> I'm not mad. Why would I be mad? It's like the 30th time it's happened in the last decade. So I don't see, I, I don't get what, no. I was going to say I don't get what the argument is that Duke winning is good for college basketball, but I do. And you've you've explained this, whether you meant to or not, also, which is that college basketball and a lot of sports continue, or at least the media on college basketball. I don't know if the decision makers in the sport view this as, because they make their money off the tournament and off the TV deals. What do they care if people watch a bit less or a bit more? The deal's in place already. So this thought, though, that... Zion Williamson is what's going to draw the casual fan in. It is a mirage. And you've seen this. You understand what the consequences of this are with your NASCAR fandom. Yep, exactly. I was saying, <clears throat> I was saying this. Um, it's kind of like when you have uh, cable or phone companies that have programs just for people that aren't currently with them. So it's like, what's the point in being with them for like 25 years? Yeah. Because right? they're, ch they're chasing the person that's not you, that doesn't already like the thing. So... Uh, in a lot of cases, you have sports uh, marketed towards the casual fan because you figure, you take for granted that the people that like the sport that you're broadcasting, the actual fans, are already 100% going to watch no matter what you do to water down or otherwise fix your product um, to them. So It's not been the case. And that's NASCAR's economic performance in the last decade, 15 years. It's been about that. chasing the <clears throat> casual race fan. Uh, there, there is no casual racism. There, there are no casual race fans. Uh, people are either race fans or like they were sports fans that got into this fad when it when it peaked there, and nobody ever. Yeah, Nobody so, ever adjusted for that. There aren't casual race fans. There's there's race fans, and they're eventually going to get bored of something that they see as overly manipulated and go to other racing. Yeah, and so let's let's talk about what the casual fan looks like in college basketball. The, ca the casual fan is a person who doesn't watch much but fills out the bracket and then watches some games the first couple weekends, and then they inevitably forget about it. Half the people that I do brackets with don't remember that they did it by the time the tournament's so are like, oh yeah, that happened. Maybe I should check and see if I won like unless you're putting money on it which casual fans aren't putting more than like 20 bucks you know what the you know what the casual fan represents from an economic standpoint is eyeballs that are impossible to measure because the casual
casual fan, if they don't have a sports package such that they can watch on True TV, they're gonna go to a sports bar and watch. And it's not like they're charge they're charging a cover at most sports bars, so there's any way to measure who those people are. They're not get a casual fan is not gonna buy a sports package for a month to watch every game of the tournament. Like you're doing it exactly wrong. If you think that the casual fan is the way to get more money out of it, it's not. The way out of it to get more money out of it is to make the product so good that fans who are already watching and already paying are willing to pay more. I mean, if you, if it, if they made it, if for example, there were more teams like Murray State this year, if there were more John Morants at mid-major schools, I would, cons I mean, I don't know if I would actually do it, but I would certainly consider paying for a cable package that allowed me to watch more games of mid-major schools that they can't fit on ESPN and ESPN2. The idea that getting, that the idea that, uh, you know, catering to people that don't like your product and then, you know, adding them, that that adds more value than making your product the best it can be for the people that already like it. Yeah. That's, that's where, that's, I think, a bit of the conceit that you see. Whereas, I mean, WWE, not entirely sports, but they got a head start on this right when they put a whole ton of their archives on their on their website and streaming and they basically just said okay what do the fans of our product want and then just gave them that not what do people that what's going to what's it going to take for people to watch our product yeah it was yeah. more what do the people that like us want and how can we give it to them but what we get there's a way to put it in more concrete terms too which is the and it's never actually said this way but the thought is well if Duke and Zion aren't on, fewer people are going to watch, and that's going to mean lower ratings, and that's going to mean less money for the sport. When did we get to a point when we all agreed that more money in the sport was a good thing? Like, these schools are, like, it's already such a massively inequitable... in the Big Ten Network country, it's, man. It's already but we're such not a... on Big Ten Network. We're pirate radio. Exactly. What's Jim Delaney going to send? His, you know, he's gonna he's probably going to send some Rutgers guys out to, to talk to us about their football team. So, that's a fate worse than that. This guy. <laughs> Chris Ash is going to turn it around, you see. So, I don't know what that accent was supposed to be. It was terrible. But in any case, most Are of the... Are implying that Chris Ash is not going to get it done this year? A lot of the structural inequalities and inequities in college sports occur because there's so much money involved. And the other thing of it is, I think we all agree that at one time or another, in one form or another, this is going to end. There's, It's not just going to be... can't just keep yeah, getting bigger. It's not just going to be more money and more money and more money forever. Because live TV sports are a lot of people's last thing that's keeping them clinging to cable. It kept It's the one thing that kept me clinging on for such a long time, uh, you know, just waiting for streaming options to surpass it. But the point is that that's got, I mean, that's, that's one of the only things that really has tremendous drawing power with there being now so many content distribution platforms. Yeah. It's, it's hard to command the kind of audiences with one event. Uh, there's just nothing quite like it in and it, broadcasting. I mean, at some point, I would love to see the financials for CBS and how it makes any sense for them to pay a couple billion dollars for the rights to broadcast the tournament because they, they can't be making the ad money to justify that, can they? I, like, There's nothing about it that makes any sense. All of, all of which, by the way, this whole conversation comes all the way back to why, fuck yeah, Michigan State beat Duke. No, I'm not sorry. If you think otherwise, go sit in the corner. I mean, that also, if you think otherwise, that makes you one of the people that actually thinks, oh no, I'm not going to get to see any more Zion Williamson. I haven't seen enough already. Yeah, you have, it case, hasn't you, been. You don't, we don't understand you. You're not 
us. You're not and you're fans full of, of shit. Sport. And you're full of shit because that means you haven't watched any basketball or ESPN coverage for the last seven months. Exactly. Because if you, you don't, if you had been, if you haven't you couldn't had get away film. from him. You couldn't get away from Zion Williamson for seven months. It was a news cycle. It was a 24 hours news cycle on ESPN for a damn week when he broke his shoe. Like <laughs> that's all that it's been is Zion Williamson around the clock. They have a Zion stat tracker on games he's not playing in. Like. Remember all this speculation <laughs> on whether or not Nike could survive the fallout, the the potential like legal fallout from everybody watching Zion Williamson's shoe explode. Like there was, a, well, could Nike, one of the biggest companies in America, survive the fallout from this? Yes, we've had enough Zion. That's the point. And the other point is, <laughs> if you haven't, then you're not watching, and you you're not you're not you don't get basketball fans. Yeah, so so arguing that it's bad for the sport, no. It might be bad for you, national sports person, because now you have to do a little bit of research on the four other teams that are actually in the field if you want to say anything intelligent about it, which, by the way, you don't have to. If you have the take that Duke losing is bad for college basketball, we don't need to hear anything more from you. You writing is bad for college basketball, if that's what you want to say. So, there were some other teams. We already touched on Purdue and Michigan, but we have some other Big Ten teams whose, uh, whose runs came up short in various ways of impressiveness. I mean... Um, also glossing over, and Purdue did play in two of the best games in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Not only that Virginia one, but also uh, an epic comeback against Tennessee. Yeah, yeah, and they did to Tennessee what, or Tennessee did to them what Iowa did to Tennessee, which was go down by 18 or 20 points, have the raging comeback at the end only to fall just short. Um, and yeah, it, you know, I know most Purdue fans are, I think the, the most common sentiment, and I'm not saying this is a universal one by any means, but the most common sentiment from Purdue fans was, oh man, this is just yet another brutal way for us to lose um, when everything's in our grasp. But I'm like, look, again, I think about what their expectations for Michigan State were at the beginning of this season. I didn't see Elite Eight for sure. You know, I didn't <clears> see <throat> I didn't see Final Four coming no. with this and Purdue so, squad. Right, and that that's the comparison I'm making here is like, I didn't, like, there were pre all the predictions that MSU was going to be near the top of the conference. I didn't even see that, let alone a deep tournament run. When you think about what Purdue lost, I, th I think the stat that I heard in one of Purdue's earlier tournament games was that with the graduations they had last year, they lost, like, 2,100 career points or something like that and a bunch of other stats with, um, with Matthias and Haas and Edwards and Thompson all leaving. So to lose a four-man group like that, which really had, was the group that brought this program back into conference, you know, into a conference powerhouse status, internationally relevant program again. For that senior class to walk out, and then you've got, I mean, you're relying on Grady Eifert, who's a former walk-on. Evan Boudreau, I think, was either a walk-on or a preferred walk-on at one point. And yeah, he was hurt for a lot of the season, but still not a guy that most people would have thought much of. Of course, you replaced all those guys' production, points-wise, with Carson Edwards. Right, right, who, yeah. I mean, uh, they scored 75 points, and he had, like, well over half of them. He had 42 again, Yeah, he, he had 42 yeah. points. He had 42 twice in this tournament. I'm pretty sure, I don't remember if it was... If it was just the Big Ten all time, but he set, I think it was the Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament record, like records for a Big Ten player in the NCAA tournament in made three pointers. Or maybe I'm, I don't remember exactly. He broke a record that Glenn Rice held, even though he had only played in three games and Rice made it all the way to the final. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's got to be disappointing for it to end that way, but boy, it was a hell of a ride. I mean, and it was what, a very inspiring tournament run, too. I mean, you, you know, 
you can have like you could have you could have had Kansas State's run to the Elite Eight, where kind of just all the good teams just get out of the way, got out of the way, <laughs> yeah. and then you know they just kind of uninspiredly stumbled to the Elite Eight. But no, I mean Purdue absolutely conquered <clears throat> their way through yeah. a tough bracket yeah. to get to that point. So I, you know, and think back. The other thing was think about how badly they started. Weren't they like seven and six at one point in the non-conference, or eight and seven, or something? I believe. I mean, so. they they had a really bad start. There were some. There were some. All right, maybe Painter really is cooked, kind of things floating around. I don't think that's. The, I don't think anyone's making that argument anymore. So um, you know, to turn Matt Harms from a, a seven foot three foul machine into a functional big in this league is remarkable. To get generally acceptable efficiency out of Carson Edwards while still getting that production is a hell of a coaching job given how much the pressure was on his shoulders. So yeah, Purdue, I don't think there's any way to call her season anything but a success. They split the regular season title again. They get to the Elite Eight for the first time, I think since 2000, if I remember correctly, because even with the baby boilers, Hummel had that injury. I think they got knocked out in the Sweet 16. I don't think they admit, I think it was the first Elite Eight since 2000 for Purdue. That would um, make it Matt Painter's first with Purdue. Yeah, I don't think they've been this far with him. Um, there have been times when it seems like it should have, but this is not one of those times. No, yeah, it's fair to say they outpunched their their way. I'm not, and again, we're gonna do more comprehensive previews going forward, but reviews that is. Yeah, review. Well, I think we can do a little bit of a preview element. And just kind of look at all right, what seniors do they have? We'll probably do this after the deadline for the NBA draft, so that we know for sure who's going and who's not. Yeah, uh, that'll that'll be very important for for, for Illinois. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if Isle stays, you're in good shape, and if not, well, <laughs> anyway. So, Continue. Yeah. Um, continuing with our run through what happened in the Big Ten. I mean, you mentioned Iowa. They uh, mm-hmm. they played the same game that Purdue did against Tennessee, only around the losing end of it. Yeah. Um, but my the reaction that I surveyed from both the SBN um, Iowa blog, from the Iowa fans on OTE, and from a couple other websites has basically been that Franz winning a couple games in the tournament sort of redeemed what otherwise would have been another collapse in a series of late season collapses for him. The most interesting thing that came out today is now the rumor that he's being considered for the Arkansas job and is apparently considering taking it. I don't get it. I mean, the only way that I can see him really considering is if Iowa is absolutely playing hardball with him. Didn't they just give him a big... He's got a big buyout, though, doesn't he? Doesn't he have a big-ass yeah, contract right I'm now? Yeah, but I'm sure that he's gotten to be friends with Kirk Ferentz and, more importantly, his <laughs> Yeah, look... What I'm saying is there's a certain coach in town who has a 20-year contract renewable every two years, and all I have is seven for, like, a $20 million buyout. So what I'm saying, Gary, is show me the money. But, like, if, if he's going to play hardball, they lost in the – was it the round of 32 or did they make the Sweet 16? No, they lost the round of 32. And that's after face-planting in the tail end of the regular season, early exit from the conference tournament, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that was funny because they – they hit 15 threes against us, and the whole time I'm thinking, you know they're going to go like one for 20 against Michigan tomorrow, and they which did. They did. Which they did, yeah. So wh- why exactly Fran feels that this right now is like is the one tournament win really negotiating from a position of strength? Like, well, if he's I mean, going to make this thing move. that you can do at a program like Iowa is give fans these exciting memories here because, you know, you had that win against Cincinnati and you had that game against Tennessee that buys you a lot of clout. I mean, that looks an awful lot like the run that that we took with John Gross in his first season. And it's like, yeah, you know, you remember that for a bit. Then, you know, 
if, if, if that never gets built on, then eventually you run out of cloud. But point is... I guess. But that's, like, that's what people are going to remember from this Iowa season is is those tournament games. That's what Iowa fans will remember anyway. Sure. And in spite of my promise that we would leave this for a later time, I guess I can't help but look ahead here because, and I don't remember if we discussed this in the past, Iowa's got exactly one senior who plays, Nick Bear, who's a good player, you know, six-man glue guy, former walk-on. It's possible that Tyler Cook could go pro. I frankly don't see him as much of a pro player. If everybody comes back, they should be better next year they've got McCaffrey's second kid coming in he's like a four-star power forward so he should be able to at least give them what Bear gave them from a raw production standpoint maybe not from a chemistry standpoint but next year should be I mean they had the year a couple years ago where they were near the top of the conference with Uthoff and Jock and all those guys um, but this ought to be their next really good team if everybody stays so if you're Fran why are you playing hardball now when next year really ought to be the year where everything is lined up for you where you have your biggest season and maybe in your career at Iowa, I mean, well, maybe you, you got don't the leverage play. now. But it's you might you, I don't think you do. Now. Like, what leverage do you have? <laughs> I, like more than you'll have if the season goes tits up. If it goes tits up, they gotta buy you out, and you can still get another job elsewhere. It's probably not gonna be for as much. But how much money do you need? Like, he's been coaching at a major conference school for over a decade. He has to have made what well, elite, like twenty-five or thirty million dollars there. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, like I said, I just. I don't, and I also don't necessarily buy the notion that winning one tournament game is going to send Iowa fans so over the moon that they're like, yes, give him the moon and the stars and the sky because although most, I think most Iowa fans are satisfied with Kirk Ferentz overall, I don't think any of them are satisfied with how long they're going to be stuck with him, like it or not. Like, I think there's, it's been discussed enough among anyone who's actually engaged with Iowa athletics that I don't think there's going to be a lot of happiness with you again. Now, the other thing is, I also understand that Gary Bard has kind of gotten, like, he's jumped the shark a little bit. There's, there's kind of a fuck you um, atmosphere in the air about him. So... I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. But I, I find the notion that he was shopping for another job to be odd because if you're Arkansas, what about Fran McCaffrey convinces you that he's going to be able to succeed in an SEC that's gotten a lot tougher? That not only has Cal Perry, but that has Rick Barnes moving Tennessee along pretty well, that has Bruce Pearl for the time being Recruiting. until he gets... Very well. Oh, we also, on the Bruce Pearl front, to a, to a lesser extent, much less duplicitous about it and much less moralizing, is Quanzo Martin, who, again, well, right. Martin, not necessarily going to do very much with the talent, but, but he's he sure gonna, is going to bring it in. He's going to vacuum a lot of it up, and he's on a border with you. Alabama just hired Nate Oates. Texas Oof. A&M just hired Buzz Williams. Uh, Tom Crean at Georgia just grabbed one of the top three recruits in the country. Uh, and Florida is still a decent program, if not what they used to be. Rick Barnes, so, Tennessee. I mean, I mentioned him. I mean, L- well, LSU has money floating around. Who yeah, yeah. I, I didn't even mention them because it, like like it feels like that. It feels like they're going to win it. I guess we'll see. I I don't think Wade ends up being the coach there much longer, but LSU is kind of a weird creature that way, isn't it? <laughs> um, so anyway, my Speaking point my point is like you these are these are what you have to contend with. I'm not saying that all those guys are actually great coaches. Some of them demonstrably are wasters of talent. Um, but it's a difficult neighborhood now. And what about like what with Fran McCaffrey's record? Let's say, for example, that you even want that you think the SEC and the Big Ten are comparable in difficulty now because of the up- coaching upgrades the SEC has made. Fran McCaffrey hasn't exactly run circles around the Big Ten. He, he's he doesn't consistently develop guys into star players. He recruits good but not great. Um, and he's got this tendency, which despite the tournament win, still showed itself this year of his teams fading down the stretch when you need to win your biggest games. 
So It'd be like a much less successful Brett Bielema going. Oh, there. not even close. Not even. The only comparison is that they're both coaches from a Big Ten school. Like, yeah. Fran has not had has not had five percent of the success Brett Bielema had at Wisconsin, and that was even more of a head shaking move. But you kind of understood that because in that case, it's like, all right, he's basically going up to the clearly more difficult league for more money. He's out from Barry Alvarez's influence. I don't think any of that stuff applies at Iowa. Like. It's mystifying. And I the think other it thing. might be one of those things, though, which I think would be really funny, is if he didn't really want to go to Arkansas, but he really wanted Iowa to pay him, but then Iowa didn't pay him, so he ended up at Arkansas. <laughs> that would be really <laughs> funny. Sure. I'd, yeah, if we ever found out that it actually happened that way, which I'm sure no one would say publicly, but... It would you kinda... would eventually find that out. I suppose we probably would. It, yeah, I would laugh. I would laugh. You remember when <laughs> we later found out that Bowling Green's previous athletic director... Oh, yeah. <laughs> literally Googled what college football yeah, team yeah, has yeah. the best offense and, and then hired hired the cheapest. <laughs> hired, yeah. Yeah, hired the coach within his microscopic budget that he could afford there. Like the stuff you would never actually believe if like it's dumber than fiction. But so to, to finish on with this McCaffrey line though, that's all we'll say about Iowa. But then the other thing is apparently Arkansas is also talking to Little Dicky. <laughs> They're trying oh, to. Boy. They're thinking about hiring Petito away, and again, I'm like, let me freak. It, so, you seen Arrested Development? Uh, him? Yeah. Him? Him? <laughs> so. Him? Yeah. So Minnesota was in the, snuck into this tournament. We uh, they did just well enough in the Big Ten tournament, I guess. What? To get placed? To, yeah. Well, to they, they had an, they had enough built up over the course of the season that I don't think apparently again when we previewed the Big Ten tournament, I thought they had work to do. Apparently, I was way off, and they were yeah. safely. In, but they were still a 10 seed. They had the oh my matchup in the first round with Louisville. Um, and of course, young Patino avenging Papa Patino's honor by dispatching the Cardinals pretty easily. I think I don't think it wasn't a blowout on the scoreboard, but I think yeah, they were, I mean, they were it, in control just, most of that game. Minnesota just cruised ahead in the second half, <coughs> stayed there comfortably. Of yeah. course, then they went and they're, got slaughtered by Michigan State. Right, in the, second round. <laughs> the reward for making the tournament was to be paired in a pod with Michigan State and to get him in the second weekend of the tournament. And it went pretty much the way the regular season matchup did. Um, the only thing was, it, like, I couldn't believe it was as big of a margin as it was because it was the sloppiest game of the season for Michigan State, including the catastrophe at Illinois. I think MSU turned it over 22 times or something like that, and they still and won. It didn't matter. And they won by 20. <laughs> yeah. Because it... Coffee had like uh, like 27 or 28 points or something like that, and nobody else did jack shit. Um, so Minnesota now is one of, I mean, there are several schools where it's like, hmm, wonder what's going to happen or what should happen to this coach, even though they were in the tournament. Yeah, I don't think they fire Patino, because it, it's fair enough to say that of the tournament exit, Jordan Murphy didn't get to play against Michigan State if he's in there. That game could easily turn out differently. Um, but all like the Minnesota people are kind of seizing on whatever leverage they can use to side against bringing Patino back. That's true. That's kind of the impression I've gotten. It feels like the, the tide from has our turned people. against him there. Yeah, from our people at least that seems to be the impression. Nobody's um, coming right out and saying it, but it feels like the yeah. tide's turning against him. And I'm... I guess I get that, but on the other hand, so you lose Murphy next year and Dupree McBrayer, but I guess it all depends on whether Coffee comes back for his senior season. If he does, they've got a decent recruit coming in. They have an outside shot at getting this five-star, I think his name is Michael Hurt, also from Minnesota. Um, not the kind of recruit who usually stays there, but they got Coffee before. You know, Oturu and Kalsher were probably two of their four best players by the end of the season, and they were freshmen, so you could see, if you look at it the right way and Coffee comes back, you could see this team being better next year. Now, that being said, if I guess 
guess it's a fair question as to whether that's good enough in year or whatever this is, seven, eight for Patino. Has it been that long? I think it's been that long. I mean, it's been at least six. Yeah, so the team the team is definitely all his. The recruit, he's been in on the recruiting cycles of all these kids from the beginning. So if they're not better next year, if they don't, and again, it maybe it's incorrect of me to do this, but when we were talking about Iowa, for example, I know earlier in, in the season, in our last discussion, I was like, look, Iowa's really got to win something next year, don't they? Or don't they have to fire him? Because what's the excuse for not winning? Like they're going to have a hugely experienced, pretty talented team win something like put something in the rafters it's not like just playing good most of the time shouldn't be good enough there are a a, this isn't football where there's basically conference title and then how good's your bowl game like there's all kinds of boxes you can check you can win the conference tournament split the regular season you know get the double buy in the regular season go to the sweet 16 go further in the tournament like there's all kinds of criteria you can set for measuring your team's performance and if you're like it's fine if you don't if yours aren't the same as mine like if you don't think your program has to go to the final for it to be a successful season that's fine what is a successful season you tell me and then if your coach isn't doing it and he doesn't have a reason why and he's been there a long time fire his ass find somebody better yeah i mean the difference of course when you compare that to iowa last year is iowa uh had what did they have like a five and the four and 14 conference record something, something like that they, they had, were they were straight up bad yeah. not losing the second round of michigan state yeah well, by, and so obviously there's context, and this gets back to what I said about MSU earlier. I didn't think they'd go this far this year. I Frankly, if they got out before the tournament started, if they got out of the first weekend, I was going to consider it a success because of what they got done in the regular season and the conference tournament and just getting this sh- you know monkey off your back of being bounced in the first weekend the last three years. That would have been good enough for me because I still, like, I don't fail, I don't think this anymore, by the way, but I still thought that given, like, the actual talent on this team that they had kind of overperformed at that point. So it would have been good enough for me. So moving on from Minnesota's coach, who people don't really know how to feel about, to Maryland's coach that people don't really know how to feel about? Depends on what you mean by people, because our Maryland cohort certainly knows how to feel about Yeah, this is true. Uh, to, to be fair, I do think he maybe doesn't quite give Turgeon some of the credit he deserved. This was a very young team that early in the conference season looked like they were going to be right there with Michigan and Michigan State for a piece of the title. It ultimately didn't pan out that way, but... Until a good deal of the way into January, they were looking every bit as good as Michigan or Michigan State. They had a series of perfectly predictable dick trips, though. However, when you look at how their season ended... Okay, they barely survived Belmont. Yeah. That was a maybe a little bit more of a sweat Belmont, than it should have been. Belmont was a little bit of a popular mid-major pick, though. I mean, they were they were an at-large mid-major, yeah? Yeah. Uh, but then go up against a, a highly talented LSU team and then really only lose on an absolutely incredible play. Just one of those, like, yeah. no yeah. one could have oh, defended this Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One place. of those, like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, no. It, I don't, I don't get how you can blame... perfect layup around very, very well-executed defense. Yeah. It's just one of those things that happens, you know. The one shining moment things they show, like there's a res- there's a team on the receiving end of that, a team that got their moment shined. <laughs> Where it's just like, God, you gotta be kidding. Like, so once again... Shot fucking Gordon Hayward hit against MSU in the Final Four. Like, that, those things happen. So once again, out in the second round, certainly yeah. have potential for more. Yeah. Um, but at the same time going into the tournament, it didn't really seem like they were going to <laughs> achieve more. It seemed like kind of... 
the story was a bit written already. Yeah. Like, you knew that they, that even though they could, in theory, they wouldn't really go very far. No, and, and LSU was not a great matchup for them because Maryland always looks at its best when they have a decided athletic advantage, which, again, because of how well Turgeon is recruited, that's a fair amount of the time. Like, they're usually more talented than their opponent. It just against LSU and this, like, brigade of fucking swamp monsters they came up with. And like, it was just a little bit too much for Maryland to handle. And a, and a little bit too much is really true because, again... Last second shot, a very difficult shot that just happened to go down. So, you know, that being said, I I guess I understand Maryland fans' frustration. This is a program that has a national title and a period of sustained excellence within the memory of most of its fans. So if you're not really, it, it doesn't feel like they're really that close to that level. Um, and it it's understand- like plateaued under Turgeon. Well, maybe, but it'll get, next year will be really telling. I think that's fair to say. I think it's... It's definitely fair to say that, well, all right, so they don't really lose any seniors, but it's probably fair to assume Bruno Fernando is going to be gone. Um, if everybody else stays, though, and they're not markedly, but, like, there's no market improvement, then I think it's probably time to evaluate, like, yeah, this guy's getting a lot of talent, but is he really just Quanzo Martin with a little bit less dirt on his hand? Um, I think that's a fair question to ask at that point, because he's been there long enough. Again, he's been there since Maryland's been in the big time, and he's, I think he was yeah. there. Well, since I, they I fired... what, like, nine, ten years at least? Did they? Was there even anyone between him and Gary Williams? I don't think there was. That's a good question. I'm pretty sure he came in, so that's been at least 10 years. Mark Turgeon was indeed the direct successor to Gary Williams, so... How long has he been there, exactly? Since 2011. Hmm, I would have thought it was even a little bit longer than that, but yeah, I mean, this is where we get into the expectations thing, right? If he's doing this at Minnesota or Iowa, is that good enough for them? Maybe it is. Is it good enough for Maryland's fan base? I don't think so. Uh, I think he's going to do something next year, or they're probably right to, you know, demand his job. Whether that actually happens, who knows, but... So when you look at his, uh, at his record over Maryland, uh, for the first three years when they were in the ACC, um... Maryland missed the NCAA tournament all three of those times, although in one year they went 25-13 and 13, reached the NIT semifinal. Um, first three years in the Big Ten was a, a second round, a Sweet 16, and then a first round loss. And then, of course, last year they missed the tournament. Yeah. So four out of the last five years, but it doesn't feel like it's building towards anything. Like And like he's ever going to really overachieve with the talent that he's got. He's Well, no, he's not going to overachieve with the talent he's got. But the talent he had this year means that if he just achieves with it, if he just does what you should do with that kind of talent next year with a year of development, big things should be in store. If they're not, then yeah, show them door. Um, all right, so we move along here. So Ohio State, yeah. not in any danger of losing their coach. No. Um, they knocked off Iowa State in yeah. the opening round Surpri- before think- getting throttled by Kelvin Sampson in Houston. Right, which... Again, but certainly the strongest mid-major. Although, I mean, in basketball, is the AAC really even considered a mid-major? But, uh, yeah, no shame really in losing that. It, look, for for Ohio State to make the tournament this year, given their personnel situation, was impressive. It, nobody's going to give Chris Holtman as much credit for this season as they did for last year. But, honestly, he probably deserves more because what he had was... Caleb Wesson and a bunch of six foot six guys 
who took a lot of threes. Uh, that's what their team was. And he still got in the tournament, still made them, for the most part, a pretty tough out. Um, yeah, I don't know what more an Ohio State fan would really expect this year. I, and They've I got didn't, a good recruiting class coming in next year. This is best of a conference, I believe. This yeah. is a solid program that's yeah. It's going to, I mean, they're going to achieve more from here. They'll be back on top. It, I don't know if I would project next year or not. I guess we'll see what the rest of the conference loses before we kind of make that estimation. But they'll be, they'll be substantially better next year than they were this year. Year, and they weren't bad this year. But that being said, you know they they sprang the upset on Iowa State, which I don't think anyone really. I know that that was the first weekend of the tournament. That was a game that I heard a lot of people complaining to damage their brackets. I think people expected more from Iowa State, and it just didn't happen. So that's you know that's an upset of pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Not bad. Not bad. Let's talk about the black sheep of the conference now. Wisconsin was the only team to lose in the first round of the tournament, <sighs> and. Uh, it's held to 54 points, which you would expect that to be a winning score, but Oregon got 18 more than that. So yeah, Wisconsin got absolutely skunked in this tournament. Yeah, that's a program that's in an interesting place, isn't it? It almost feels <coughs> like they just barely scratched and clawed their way back into the tournament, and that it's not poised to get better next year. As I mean, at the parts, I don't know if I would say that. There were five seed. I mean, they were. Didn't they get a double bye in the conference again this year? Or did they just miss it? They just missed it. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't say that they just scratched their way in. I mean, it, they weren't especially remarkable. They were, they were certainly ranked most of the year. It, but that being but they're said, they're obviously I, a lower tier from peak Greg Gard or peak peak Bo Ryan. Oh, and also course. peak Greg Gard, which yeah, was well, which was mostly Ryan's leftovers. Yeah. yeah, so no, they're not the team they were a couple years ago, and it's really not apparent that they're going to be that team because the thing is. It's not like they've ever relied on high-impact recruits. I mean, they get a splash guy like that once in a while, like a Sam Decker, but they've generally relied on developing guys, but most of the guys they have now are kind of in the middle of their eligibility, like a lot of sophomores, and there's not really a whole lot of indication that these guys are going to make the sorts of improvements that guys usually did at Wisconsin as their careers went on. Ethan Happ contributed <clears throat> an enormous amount to this Wisconsin team. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's hard um, to see all his production being replaced. They probably I mean, on like a point for point basis, they probably won't, at least not with just one guy. It's they're, they're going to look, even without replacing their coach, they're probably the team that's going to look most substantially different next year other than Nebraska. Um, just because, I mean, there, there won't even be a whole lot of roster. I think they had two seniors, maybe three. I forget if Charlie Thomas is a senior or not, but I know Happ and Iverson are both gone. And they'll miss those guys. Obviously, they'll miss Ethan Happ. There's some pieces that can do some interesting things there. They've got some decent shooters. Nate Reavers could be a real matchup problem in the right situations. But do they have the pieces there to be as good as they were this year? I really don't think so. I guess we'll see because, you know... We've tried to bury Wisconsin basketball before, and it's like burying them in Pet Cemetery. So, are you going to see that, by the way? Did you see the original <clears throat> Pet Cemetery? No. They're remaking it. It's a Stephen King thing. It uh. very spooky, but very, very good. Um, I can't. I wonder if I'm going to see the remake because you know they tend not to live up. But John Lithgow is going to be in it, so I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, so um, that takes us through every sometime, time ten in the tournament. Sometimes eliminated is better. It's a line. Never mind. <laughs> I'll explain later. 
So, yeah, well, that takes us through everything except we kind of glossed over the Michigan State thing because we, we had, we did this, this rant about Duke instead. I think we'd be remiss to at least not touch on how Michigan State got to that point. So, interesting, I mean, until they played Duke, the hardest challenge they got was from Bradley in the first round where, you know, maybe that's a function of feeling pressure from the last three years. Maybe that's a plucky upstart in Bradley punching over their weight class. In either case, MSU trailed at the half. Um, it, was, it was a tie game with like eight minutes left, and then they pulled away. Uh, we mentioned the Minnesota game, obviously, and then the LSU game was a good one, too, where the matchup was kind of concerning going in because it's a big athletic team, one that liked to force a lot of turnovers. But MSU played a pretty disciplined game, and honestly, the, the Duke one, that's where I thought it would end. I mean, whatever the draw ended up being, I never thought they were going to go further than Duke. Duke is their their white whale, their nemesis, their, you know, dragon in the castle, whatever phrase you want to use for it. Um, everyone's heard before this matchup, Tom Izzo was 1-11 lifetime against Duke. And granted, the 1 was in the tournament, but a lot of high-profile losses there, a lot of season-ending losses and this is as talented of a Duke team as we've seen. I mean, on paper at least, they're every bit as talented as the last time Duke and MSU met up in the tournament, and maybe you don't remember. I certainly remember how that went. It was a feeling of utter hopelessness. It wasn't as bad as the 2009 game with North Carolina, but it was comparable. It was just, it was, and frankly, that was an MSU team that was fortunate to be there that had played over their heads. I think they got there as a seven seed, and obviously Duke has won, and then it was close for a few minutes, and then they just pulled away and pulled away and pulled further away and that's the way those games usually go and I was worried in the first half that that's how it was going to go when Duke goes on this 12-0 run and they take a three-point deficit and turn into a nine-point lead and I'm like ah fuck here it is again we had them for a minute and then inevitably they hit a couple shots we panic a little bit on offense Izzo doesn't call a timeout. He never calls a timeout during an opposing run. And then the run, he trusts his guys to get through it. But this is a really good opponent. And the run doesn't stop. And it gets out of hand. And now the opponent's too good for us to get back in, even when we start playing better. Except that part didn't happen. MSU responds with a 13-0 run of its own. Goes into the half, up four points. And I thought it was, I thought they could do it. But I wasn't ready to believe. I didn't believe until probably like 10 seconds after the game was over. When clock goes all zeros, I'm like, okay, okay, so MSU 68, 68 points for Michigan State. And over here is Duke, here, over here is Duke, and that, those are their points, and they have 67. And I'm gonna, let me, where's my, where's my, where's my phone? Let me do the, all right, let's do some calculations. So, yeah, 68 is more than 67. And that clock, the clock on the bottom says 0, 0.0 seconds left. Now, what I think that means is there's no time left in this game, so it's gonna be really difficult for Duke to pull this out, but you know, give them the bullshit they have. Wait, no, they're celebrating, like, they're all really happy. They're celebrating like this is over. Yeah! And then that's when I made the noise that scared the absolute shit out of the dog and probably all the other neighbors in the building, if any of them were home. Um, you might have heard it from here. <laughs> it was a really good feeling. It's I mean, the win to go to the title game in 09 is probably still higher on my list. But depending on how this weekend's games go, that might be like that might be the new top. That might be I can't put it ahead of like the Rose Bowl yet. I can't put it ahead of the Big Ten tournament that sent us to the Rose Bowl. Those were incredible moments. But this to beat Duke, to get to where we're going, and to now have the opportunity that we have, um, it's just gonna be up there. It's, it's certainly on the medal stand, I'll put it that way. Well, I do know one thing. I was gonna say, I, talk, I talked a long time. You should say something. <laughs> we, I don't know. I mean, there, there's a chance that Auburn gets through to the end of this thing, and uh, if 
you end up allowing Bruce Pearl to win a national title. I mean, mm. I just don't think that there there's much of a future for this podcast. Yeah. It'll be just a, it'll be just a very... Uh, j- just a treasonous act, almost. I mean, I just... Mm. <laughs> you would hold me personally accountable for that, huh? I absolutely would. Um, well, in the interest of preventing that, let's say that a Michigan State-Auburn matchup does happen. If I were to get Michigan State gear for you, would you wear it? Oh my goodness. Well, I certainly... I mean, I I went so far as to root for North Carolina in this one. Okay. Oh, well, come on then. That's an easy choice then. <laughs> Are you serious? Like, you root for North Carolina and you got to think about whether you want to wear Michigan State shit. So, yeah, let me tell you this. For me, just... Uh-huh. If I put on... If I put on my... I'm really sick of my team being out of the tournament and I hate every team for a reason that has to do with my team hat, then uh, Michigan State is, the you know, the, the team who's winning makes me the least enraged because obviously you have Auburn, Bruce Pearl, obvious reasons. Hmm. Uh, then you have, um, you have Virginia where we thought twice that Tony Bennett was going to be our head coach. Um, then you have Texas Tech, which is like, okay, a dude going there, blowing up the roster and then getting to the Final Four in a couple of years directly disproves the notion that, you know, no coach could possibly inherit a bad situation, blow it up, and then even, you know, win 20 games. Okay, well, this we, so we did. So MSU is just a team that my team beat. So we boom. just we disagree on the meaning of Chris Beard succeeding, though, because the fact that one coach was able to do it does not mean that it's reasonable to expect every coach to do it. Because for every Chris Beard who successfully demolishes a useless roster and rebuilds it from scratch that quickly, there's 40 or 50 guys who try to do it and just end up washing out all their players' careers for no reason and not making anything out of what they have left. So, yes, I get that it's frustrating to watch a guy do something similar to what your coach is trying to do and just do it a whole lot better. That doesn't mean that what he did is reasonable to expect. It's it's a unicorn thing, man. But it does prove that the existence of such an event is possible, and I'd like to just sit here and believe that it is in fact not. That would just make me feel a lot better. Uh, however, Chris Beard, you have denied me of this great luxury, and therefore I have contempt for you. So you are going to be saying go. All right, let's call the Let's call the Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle.